0: This episode is brought to you by My Brilliant Friend on HBO. The show is hailed by critics as a stunning achievement, breathtaking, and revolutionary. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding drama series and all other categories, visit hbo.com fyc for more on My Brilliant Friend. In June 2015, the quiet town of Danamora in upstate New York was rattled by the escape of two inmates, David Sweat and Richard Matt, from the Maximum Security Clinton Correctional Facility. The investigation would reveal that they had help from one Joyce Tilly Mitchell, a prison employee who was madly in love with the two and envisioned a future with them. On today's crew call, we sit down with the creators of Showtime's Escape at Dannemora, Brett Johnson and Oscar nominee Michael Tolkien on how they quickly adapted the story from the headlines for director Ben Stiller to make it this year's most talked about limited series. Earlier this year, Patricia Arquette took home both the Golden Globe and SAG Limited Series Best Actress Award for a mesmerizing turn as Mitchell, while Stiller won the DGA for limited series directing. Years ago, when I was in college, uh, Darren Starr came to visit and I went to school in New Orleans. And so it was our little little, uh, view into Hollywood. And I'll never forget he's talking to the he's talking to the film class. And at the time, the Menendez brothers was a very big was a very big thing that was going on in the headlines. And he was saying that his neighbor was writing a Menendez. He's like, "This is too." His, his neighbor, I think, was a screenwriter. So He's this is too good. This Menendez brothers thing. And he was just talking about how a lot of people around town were jumping and ripping the headlines and writing Menendez Brothers stories at the time. So when my question to you is when this story hit uh, about about four years ago, how did you guys react to it? And how did you get it up so fast? Because I know in certain cases, like for example, the, you know, the, the soccer team that was trapped in the Thai cave, in that instance, with that development of that project, some people have gone out such as Dana Brunetti. I know this is a long-winded question, but they've gone out, gotten the life rights, and they have the first stake in what is the real project. But with something like this in the headlines, how do you how, how did you ensure that you guys were first? I, I'm curious about the whole development of that, of, of adapting the story. Well, it began we were
1: writing an episode of Ray Donovan together. Actually we had already written it. We were on set producing it, um, as you do an episodic and this Prison Break happened, we had missed it, and our producer, Brian Zurf called and said, have you guys seen this Prison Break? We said, no. He said, hang up, Google it, call me back. It was immediately captivating, and we actually had an outline overviewing the series before they were caught and captured. Oh, wow. And um, and But also, to answer your question about being first, that first year, we were speculating a lot of stuff. There was just the news reporting there was a lot of um, gaps in the research that we just didn't have. And we were
2: inventive. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we had, um, well, Matt wanted to get Sweat back into the tailor shop by, by sabotaging the washing machines in the tailor shop. And, <laughs> right. And, and Sweat recognizing that he was being given a signal. I mean, we, we were just, we had so, we had, all we had was little suggestions from the press.
1: We had had to do a lot of tap dancing. I mean, I do think that who we came up with them as characters pretty much stayed true throughout. But on the one-year anniversary of the escape, the Inspector General of New York, someone, I didn't even know what an Inspector General was, but she released this 170-page report. It's got every crime they committed, so you don't need any life rights. You can, uh, you know, these are all admitted to crimes. It's got every prop you'd ever want, everything. And I remember ringing the alarm bell like, guys, imagine if The Godfather was just published in its public domain. This is a PDF on the state of New York website. We need to get, you know, actors and a director immediately or else, you know, in six weeks, David Fincher is going to be making this thing so so did ben
0: stiller read your script though before the report yeah he was
2: interested in doing it he liked the idea uh, he was drawn to it but finally he said it wasn't real enough and he wanted to do something that was that was true
0: and when he passed on it was it before they were caught no no no.
1: no. this was much later so they were they were caught and captured uh killed in richard matt's case we finished the scripts about the first two episodes about six months later uh we got them to ben you know m- like two months before the report came out so they're all prosecuted and um convicted and everything um One's when ben,
0: dead yeah yeah
1: one is dead when when ben became interested but he did ultimately pass because he had us do an analysis of how much was true and how wasn't how much wasn't true and he wasn't comfortable with the level of fiction in there and so then when the so we were all bummed out we thought we were dead And then when the inspector general report came out, he had actually seen it in the New York Times and had emailed me saying, you know, I'm sure you're all over this. And, you know, I already had the PDF and I sent it to him and was like, I gotta warn you, if you read this, you're gonna walk back in. And four days later, he was back in.
2: (laughs) And the report was, the inspector general reports back to the governor as to how a, a state institution could screw up like this. So the angle was procedural, which also made it made it so helpful to work with.
0: What was fascinating to Ben, was it also fascinating to you that how in this digital age, how these guys could still escape like it's 1920 and, 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 and get, get as far as they did? Was that the same? Or were there other things? Was it her? and her her quirkiness
2: I mean, drew us to it or, uh, or
0: meaning meaning like what 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 attracted you to it in, in regards to adapting it what did you love about
2: it was it the chase the art that was for me the the thing that, that got me so excited because that was unexpected and 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 richard matt's it, art. richard matt's art was unexpected it was passionate it was sentimental it was cr- well crafted and since art is, you know, is supposed to be a, a doorway to a higher spirituality, freedom of the soul, freedom of the spirit, to find that that still the story of great constriction, no matter what, so that the, the opportunity to break out when it presented itself was just had to be followed.
1: Yeah, I, I would say the the details of the escape are absolutely amazing. And it is in this digital age. Like, how did this happen in 2019? That prison. There had been uh, prison breaks from it before, but not in its current iteration. There was like an old version where the wall was shorter. And um, that was fascinating. I think that one of the things that was so great about this collaboration between us and Ben and Benicio and Patricia and Paul and David Morris and Bonnie Hunt was that I think we all kind of had different things. You know, I think that for Ben, the reality of that stuff was his primary keyed in thing. Um, For us, I think it was the human sort of tragic, I mean, you know, this historical, this is a good story. It's historically completely unimportant. You know, Uh, the only thing that's different in 2019 versus if this didn't happen is that prison workers in New York state now have to bring a clear bag in. Okay, which they actually call the Tilly Tote, by the way. Um, But so that's not, what, what, what drew us to it was not even the prison break it was here are three people who are dissatisfied with their lives and especially the character of tilly so that you know oftentimes when you watch a prison break movie it's about the logistics and when is the laundry delivery or when is the shift changes or the spotlight crossing the yard and while the story had all of that this character of tilly once we saw her we thought oh my god this lady is unhappy in her marriage She's unhappy in this town where she grew up. She's unhappy with this job. And she wants out, too, so that hopefully there'd be something more universal and I think ultimately tragic about these three individuals and what they were yearning for and whether they were able to get it or whether they ever really knew what was wrong to begin with.
0: Now, um, Tilly came out, you know, after it was done and, you know, slammed the project and of course, there's too much evidence to show that, you know, she was in the wrong. But my question to you is, in getting, you know, I know that um, Ben, Benicio, and Paul met with, um, with, Dave, with with David. As I did.
1: Yeah. Okay, okay there you were, did. There were two trips. Ben, Benicio, and Paul went. huh And because only three people could go at a time. And then yeah. separately, I went with Patricia
0: and Michael Jacoby, who was our researcher. Great. So, okay. So tell, so- before we get to David, did you guys try to reach out to Tilly, or was she har- hard to come by? Or we Tilly is a character,
1: you know, going back and we depict it in the show. She was she's a very litigious person. Even when she was in the prison, someone said, "Hey, I know that you're having relations with this guy in the back room," and she says, "I'm going to file a sexual harassment uh, against you." So that's her personality. So. And also, you know, one of the things that was so fascinating to us about her is how there was this one side of her that you see on Matt Lauer, which is the slumped, shouldered, I just loved everyone too much. But then you look at the things you did and you think this, her whole, her whole, um, you know, narrative that she's telling is preposterous. In fact, the judge who sentenced her said, you're telling us, her her narrative is is that she was only helping them escape because... They said they were going to kill Lyle if, if uh, she didn't help them. That doesn't make any sense. They're prisoners. She's outside. You know, every day she could go to the sheriff in the town. So so uh, so I think there was a dishonesty with her that was uh, that was prevalent throughout. And we were worried when if we went to meet her that we would somehow maybe be swayed by her, which is a talent of hers, I think, um, and. So, yeah, we avoided that altogether. Whereas with David Sweat, while we also felt that he swayed certain things, there's a lot of stuff David Sweat said which we know to be accurate. When he's describing the way he took a hacksaw blade, you know, and he used uh, nail clippers for tension and then wrapped duct tape around that, that's not a lie. Although I do think David Sweat was bending the truth when he said it was all his idea and that uh, Richard Matt was just a, you know, dumb oaf who – he had to bring along. I think there's a little bit of a I live to tell the story kind of thing.
0: This episode is brought to you by My Brilliant Friend on HBO. The show is hailed by critics as a stunning achievement, breathtaking, and revolutionary. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding drama series and all other categories, visit hbo.com fyc for more on My Brilliant Friend. Now there was, I remember Ben saying something about in an interview he did with uh, my editor-in-chief, Mike Fleming, that um, when they met David, they were, they were always scratching their head, what's true, what's not true. And the, in, in regards to the escape, was there any professional cutting done or was there any pre-professional cuts that had already happened? Or he, no, David, yeah. they, the guys, they did this, no question.
1: In the town, this thing is like the JFK assassination. When you go there, there's like 800 theories about what happened. I heard everything from those holes were already there and the state was trying to cover it up. I heard that they had professional help on the outside. And well, for one, a lot of these theories are easily debunked. For one, that is a steam pipe and that heated the entire prison that winter. So there's no way those holes were already there. And, uh, you know, it's so funny. One of the things that did bewitch us throughout was how did he cut through this pipe with just a hacksaw blade? Because these pipes are so hard. And in fact, uh, on our soundstage, we had a soundstage where half of it was this giant, brilliantly constructed by Mark Ricker, our production designer, um, cell block. And on the other side was like, 27 different variations of that pipe because we had different ones made depending on if there was a channel for the camera to go through. And I'm sitting there talking to this guy Sharpie who was the fabricator. And I was telling him, you know, it's just so weird how they cut that hole. And he goes, this guy Sharpie who knew nothing about the prison break, he goes, I've worked with metal my entire life. And I'll tell you how they got out because that he goes if you deal with a st- um a steel pipe like that when it gets heated up and cooled down and heated up and cooled down every year for 25 years he goes i bet it was easier to get through that metal than it was to get through the tiny 8th of an inch thick metal in the back of their cells i found that out from sharpie you know who i think lives in brooklyn so um you know i i i, I am 100% certain that the way we depicted it is how it actually happened okay.
0: Now, um, in terms of um, Patricia, uh, Patricia Arquette getting into character, what did she have access to? Are there tapes of of Tilly? Like every, I, I would imagine, yep. she th- those are public. She had full on access to those because she really has. I mean, she's really drilled into a character. Yep. To a point where, so you, you're saying it's very interesting. You're saying Tilly is pretty litigious and really and really clever. And she plays her, she plays it, but I often felt that she played her as, like, something was wrong with her. Yeah. Like, she just, she just wasn't there. <laughs> it did with the rest of the world. Yeah, I think she just
2: was. She was in the wrong place. I think, you know, I think we were, you know, I, I, I think that the picture of the cow in Mexico that they were going to steal and bring to another village where the village would take care of them. I think she believed that. I and mean, I think that, that her she was desperate, she was poor, she had you know a few jobs, and this dream of these artists, this artist and this, these two men who were going to dote on her and, and, and adore her and take care of her, that she believed:
0: wow. we're, we're, Now David David's still, of course solitary t- he's
2: in solitary. He's yeah. in
0: solitary where where Attica now okay he was in five
1: points when we visited him and in fact he wrote a note to the um, administration of five points correctional facility um, and said that he had figured out how to escape five points correctional facility and he said that he would tell them how that could be done to help them with their security if they agreed to certain things um and i think uh he told them and they just transferred him to attica (laughs) And I don't think he got any of those things he
0: was hoping for. Now, going back to the early genesis of this, tell me about Michael, Michael De Luca's attachment, and also Ben falling in love with this. Because, look, Ben Ben can do drama. We know that we've seen that, but it's so interesting. This is so this is so different for him, and he does it so well. And you would never know, even from the camera movements. Yeah. Um that it's a that it's a Ben stiller that it's a Ben Stiller movie um, or, or limited in this case, of course, a limited
2: series. But
0: tell me about, yeah, I was just curious about Michael Deluca coming on board and also, and then Stiller finding.
2: This. We were in in that zone where we had shown it to a number of people where there was interest from some some good solid TV directors, but we knew we needed more. So we showed it to Mike hoping he would like it and he liked it. And, and he, I think his imprimatur was really important for just the seal of, you know, the seal of approval in Hollywood to help secure, uh, you know, people at the level of Ben and the cast.
1: Um, yeah. And you know, you make these lists, right? You're looking at these directors and it, when we were looking at these people, there's some directors who I won't name, who we really love, who are incredibly talented, who just don't have a funny bone. And while this is not a comedy, there were things that we wanted to feel. You know, Dog Day Afternoon was always our big reference that everybody felt like. Because it was a true story where they didn't shy away from people being dim at times. And yet at the same time, you're not looking down on them. You sort of feel like you're dumb too, you know. And so when Ben's name was on this list, I remember looking at it and remembering that he had tried to make a movie of What Makes Sammy Run. Yes, and yes. I, and I emailed my agent and I said, can you get me that script of What Makes Sammy Run? Oh,
0: wow, tell me about this. Because I remember him talking about this on um, on uh, Schneider uh, yeah. when, when he was alive. Yeah. And, but, and I went out, it was the mid-90s, and I went out and, then that, and I bought What Makes Sammy Run at that point, and it was around the time that LA Confidential came out, and I, and I just envisioned this. And then when I spoke to his uh, producing partner, um, Stewart. Stewart. Oh, Stewart, Stewart, yeah. Stewart, Stewart said they could never crack the ending of what makes Sammy run, and that's kind of what has held it in this. I don't know if they still have the rights to it, but that's kind of what held it in this limbo. Well, but tell I, me, yeah,
1: I don't know. I don't know anything about yeah. the ending because I asked for the script. They sent it to me, and twenty pages into reading the script, I said, "This is the guy." this guy is an obviously an incredibly gifted director but when you read this script it is so dramatic and it is so well crafted and he wrote that script with jerry Stahl, who ended up writing uh one and a third episodes of escape at dandamora but i never even got to the end because 20 pages in we said this is this is the guy and that's when we originally sent him the
0: scripts wow yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now the two, tell, tell me about your history. The two of you met on Ray Donovan? Yeah, on
2: the second season of Ray Donovan. And,
0: we and... An
2: episode. We did an episode together then and then on and the third season, which is the one where we, this began.
1: We already knew that we were leaving after season three and we had written the second to last episode. So we were kind of both thinking about what's next. And then,
2: and we wrote the script or no, we went to our agents when we wanted to do it. They said, they said, um, I think they said, no, they did. They said, no. So we said, you know, we write quickly. If we spent a month on a, on a, on a, on a, each, I, we, we, we broke it down into two episodes and we spent, a, you know, take a month writing it on spec. We'll see what we've got. And if we've got something right, we'll be able to attract the talent and we'll control it which is what happened. That's fantastic. That's great. Are you working on anything again? Not at
1: the moment moment. together. Yeah. I mean, historically we weren't a writing team. This was just kind of a happy accident that happened where we're on set and, you know, on TV, there are writing teams on TV, but then what happens more often is like with us, it's just like, oh, who's writing 11? You guys, we have, you know, four days to write this thing. You two write it, you know?
2: so. But I heard a story about these two guys, two brothers who killed their parents, you want to- <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: uh, I, w- I wanted to end today with uh, a real a real uh, fanboy question on my part. So, went to college in the 90s, yeah. grew up, when I graduated, the player, if it wasn't for the player, the player is what
2: made my, me want to get into this business. Right, my warning, my warning shot. <laughs> Turned out to be a beacon that brought people in. I was really surprised. I
0: know, because I was, I was telling, I was telling your publicist the saying, you know, it's like Hollywood suggests. Okay, the two movies you got to see: The Player and Swimming with Sharks, the most cynical movies ever. But there's so there's such great things. So I was in Cannes, can't help but think of The Player, how it world premiered there. So this is my question to you, Griffin Mill: Where is he now? Is he just a producer, and is he dealing with this whole streaming thing quite well that's going on? Okay. Those are the two things that are on my mind about him.
2: Listen to me, America. I wrote the (laughs) sequel to it. It's called The Return of the Player. It answers all those questions in 300 pages. He's the age he would be when I wrote the book. He's a upper-level executive who's getting older, and... He had, and he's desperate because he knows that the world is ending and he wants to be able to make enough money to buy a private jet and a private island somewhere in the South Pacific so that he can escape hell. And that's the setup. And then, um, and the book's
0: out, the book's out. The book's out in paperback. Now, um, my other, my the last turn of the player, the return of the player. It was, he based on anyone
2: no. like David Beagleman. No, no, no. no. There was, except a friend of mine. Um, I could cite some executives who've turned into him. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> there, there was an executive who who uh, uh, was speaking to a friend of mine on the phone, and he said, "Wait just a," and he said, "Just a second, I'll be right back." And he never got back. He took a call and never went. Re- and so my friend was was sort of horrified by that, and I thought that was a really good beginning for a character as to what would you, you know, how, how much you would want to kill somebody who did that to you.
0: <laughs> Fantastic.
1: You'd have to kill a lot of people. But,
2: you know, but getting sort of connecting that to, to Danamora, I think what, one of these things that, that and it's sort of the, the lucky thing that we, that we found in Danamora was that when, at the, as it's beginning, what's important is somebody getting the right kind of shaving cream or somebody getting a, a fuse for a, so that they can run a TV and a hot plate, and those small, those small needs, like a, whether it's like a small insult, like having your phone, hung, you know, being hung up on. Those are, or, 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 or Lyle going into San to get to make to reserve at a table at a restaurant which is empty, you know. These things, these are the human things that that that, that we found that we were, that we were able to find in in in, in the story, so that it wasn't. As, as Brett was saying before about how it's 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 not an important story so that it wasn't anything larger it wasn't about anything larger than than small desires in a in a in, in a in a jail in a prison and that tension is is you know where you, you're locked in so you think that there'd be you know incredible rage all the time and so people are just trying to get through their day and I think that's one of the reasons why the show has resonance
0: excellent excellent